Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head with you after an absolutely crazy weekend of fights uh, at UFC 274. Hope you're doing well. I'm recording this very early on a Monday morning. If I sound slightly sleepy and sleep deprived, it's because I am. What a weekend that was. And what a crazy, slightly bizarre main card of fights we had at UFC 274. It was a five fight main card on that little pay-per-view element of the show. It's a big old card this weekend. 15 fights or 14 fights, I think it was in the end. Uh, the Cowboy Cerrone fight, unfortunately, was scratched from the event just hours before the start. Cowboy taking a bit of a turn for the worse after a dodgy taco or something leading up to fight night. So his fight with Joe Lozon was called off. But what was left was a, was a, a big fight night, like 14 fights, a lot of decisions, a lot of decisions. I think we had 10 decisions over the course of the card, which which is a lot. But it was still an entertaining fight card, some really good fights in there, some good performances in there. But we'll focus in on the main card. Charles Oliveira defeating Justin Gaethje for, well, what should have been the retention of his UFC lightweight title. We, of course, know what happened on Friday. He misses weight by half a pound during that two-hour window, goes away, sweats off a bit more, even goes to the toilet and has a pee. So I understand from my good friend, John Morgan, he goes and has a pee and then comes back and weighs exactly the same. Lots of question marks about the scale. Lots of question marks about the use of the scale and the reading of the scale. Um, But unfortunately, the upshot was that Charles Oliveira was no longer eligible to, uh, to fight for the title and to defend his title. He was stripped of the belt as he got into the cage on Saturday night and only Justin Gaethje was eligible to win the fight. Everything was there for him. Nothing changed. The mission was the same. Beat Charles Oliveira. You are the undisputed UFC lightweight champion. Charles Oliveira defeats Justin Gaethje. First round submission, rear naked choke. This was far from straightforward though for Charles Oliveira. Gaethje dropped him twice. Oliveira once or twice um, also went to his back to try and try and go Justin Gaethje into going to the mat with him. Gaethje's far too smart for that. He wasn't going to do that. He just waved him back up to his feet. But then what we saw was the Charles Oliveira that we've seen evolve since he's joined the UFC lightweight division. This man can bang. This man can strike. Anybody who thinks, okay, he's only a submission threat is just a fool. He is a lethal striker. He's the deadliest finisher in the world at 155 pounds. And statistically, in terms of the amount of finishes he's got, he's the deadliest finisher in the UFC, in UFC history indeed. So he has more finishes than anybody in the UFC, and you can see why. That was a huge performance from Charlie Olives. He has just cemented himself as the premier lightweight in the UFC. He may not have a championship belt right now, but he's the best lightweight in the world, and he will be on the poster the next time he fights. It will be for the UFC lightweight title, and the big question now is, who's he going to fight? There are a fair few contenders. Michael Chandler is one of them. We will talk about him in a minute. Islam Makachev is one of them. Benil Dariush potentially is one of them. And I guess Conor McGregor is one of them. And that's the name that left the lips of Charles Oliveira during his post-fight interview. He wants that fight against Conor McGregor. And again, we'll talk about Conor McGregor a little bit later because he got a couple of name checks on Saturday night. That was a great fight. Only a one round of three minutes, 22 seconds. But it was an absolute banger of a fight for as long as it lasted. Charles Oliveira defeats Justin Gaethje 
And uh, that was a performance worthy of the main event. And it's just as well we got that performance, to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, because the co-main event was flat out bizarre. Carla Esparza is now the women's strawweight champion of the world for the second time. She is, of course, the inaugural UFC women's strawweight champion. She defeated a young prospect by the name of Rose Nami Yunus at the end of the Ultimate Fighter to win that inaugural title. Rose Nami Yunus, since that defeat, went on to become the best strawweight in the world. Two-time strawweight world champion and went into Saturday night's co-main event as the defending champion. But the fight was just plain weird. Rose did not seem to want to engage in any kind of offensive strategy whatsoever. Carla Esparza seemed to be looking purely for the takedown and wasn't really going to commit to anything other than a takedown opportunity. And what we got was five rounds of not not too much, to be honest. It was, uh, I think, uh, I joined uh, George and Goes on their, on their watch along, just on their chat for a little bit. And uh, I jokingly referred to it as uh, MMA's equivalent of a nil-nil draw in football because it kind of felt like that. You know, there were rounds where there was almost nothing to score. Uh, the first round, you could argue, was a 10-10 purely because nothing happened. Like, literally, nothing happened in that first round. It was absolutely bizarre. But if you look across the, the rest of the fight, you could argue that in a fight where there really wasn't an awful lot of effective striking or effective grappling going on, it goes down to octagon control, which is a an element of the scoring criteria that really doesn't get applied or used very often because there's usually a discrepancy in the effective striking and the effective grappling. But in the absence of that, octagon control is all you're left with. And Carla Esparza was the one doing most of the forward pressing. So I can see why she got the, the split decision. 47-48, 49-46, and 48-47. I will admit to you, I have not tried to score that fight, and I have not watched it back yet. Um, it's 25 minutes of my life that I don't know that I'm that prepared to give up um, just for shits and giggles, to be honest with you. It wasn't a great fight. It wasn't a great fight. One of the one of the most disappointing title fights I've seen, um, and we had two of those this weekend because the... Ryan Bader, Czech Congo title fight in Paris was a bit of a dud as well. That wasn't that wasn't a pretty thing to look at either. Um, albeit a very effective performance from Ryan Bader, who just repeatedly took down Czech Congo um en route to a shutout decision win on the scorecards over there in Paris. But this fight had very little to write home about, very little offense. And uh Carla Esparza, who is going off to get married now is going off to get married with barely a mark on her and with the UFC women's strawweight belt. Congratulations to her. It's a great redemption story for her because I think she was written off by so many after she was absolutely demolished by Yuani and Jacek, who, by the way, is probably licking her lips at the prospect of potentially facing Carla again and maybe getting reunited with the women's strawweight title. She's got a deal with Zhang Weili in what will be an epic rematch. Of course, she lost the first one. She wins the second one. There's a very strong case for her facing Carla Esparza in in uh, what would be Esparza's first title defense. But we will see how all of that pans out. But that co-main event was flat out weird. The whole main card was a bit of a roller coaster. It was sort of good fight, bad fight, good fight, bad fight. It was, it was, it was very strange. So... We had the Carla Esparza-Rose Nami Yunus fight, which 
was was a bit of a dud. But before it, we had one of the most remarkable, incredible, spectacular knockouts of the year. Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson was a cert- was absolutely nailed on to be a barn burner of a fight. These two guys don't know how to take a backward step. They don't know how to be in a boring fight, and they delivered. And the first round was brilliant, not just because it was full of action, but because Tony Ferguson looked like the old Tony, Tony Ferguson. You know, he looked, he looked sharp. He looked on it. He dropped Michael Chandler early. And it was like, wow, we've got ourselves a fight here. And Chandler rallied in the, in the second half of that round, took Tony Ferguson down with an absolutely monster double leg blast, blast double takedown and uh, put it on him towards the end of the round. But we had a good, strong, competitive fight on our hands as they went to the stalls at the end of the first round. And then 17 seconds into round two, Michael Chandler decides he doesn't want to be an MMA fighter anymore. He wants to be a punter in the NFL and uh, absolutely punts Tony Ferguson's chin into the top tier of the stands at the Footprint Center. Absolutely massive front kick to the chin. Ferguson is out cold from the minute the ball of uh, Michael Chandler's foot hits his chin. The most stunning knockout we've seen this year. Molly McCann, who probably was the clubhouse leader for knockout of the year. She was in the crowd with Paddy Pimlet. You've probably seen the footage immediately in the aftermath of that knockout. It's already a gif. I've already used it. It's open-mouthed in amazement. Open-mouthed in amazement. And the whole arena went absolutely nuts. Michael Chandler did about four backflips, jumped on the cage, started shouting, where is my son? They brought him his, his young son, Hap, and you just saw the man completely dissolve into tears. It was a it was an incredible moment. Um, and Michael Chandler, I don't know how people can be uh, can, can dislike this man. I mean, he he's just a a positive role model for the sport. You know, he's he he doesn't trash talk people in a in a, in, a, in an abusive way. He's a he's a born competitor. He's got legitimate collegiate credentials. Uh, in his athletic past. He's a former multiple-time Bellator lightweight champion. He's jumped to the UFC, and he has had nothing but big fights. He's won some, he's lost some, but every single fight has been an absolute cracker. And now, what do you do after you knock out Tony Ferguson? You get on the microphone, and you issue an absolutely epic call-out. And we got three for the price of one. He called out Charles Oliveira. He called out Justin Gaethje, just keeping his options open, not knowing who was going to win that main event. And then the insurance policy, he called out Conor McGregor. I thought it was pitched absolutely perfectly. Brilliant stuff from Michael Chandler. And the sky's the limit for this man. You know, he's in his mid-30s now. He doesn't have a huge amount of uh, time left in his career. He is here to get as many big fights, as many big paydays as he can. And ultimately... He wants to retire with a UFC championship belt on his mantelpiece. Whether he gets that next or the opportunity to fight for that next, or whether he gets the opportunity to fight Conor McGregor next, who knows? What we do know is that Conor seemed pretty receptive to the idea and replied almost immediately on social media saying it's a fight that he would certainly be interested in at some point down the line. Uh, I think the fact that Chandler offered the fight at £170 uh, was the was the thing that really woke up Conor McGregor to the option because McGregor is a big old lump right now. I can't see him getting down to 155 anytime soon. But that was a big, big night, a big, big knockout. 
and there are big things ahead for Michael Chandler. And here's what he had to say in the post-fight press conference. Well, Mike, obviously uh, everybody was indeed entertained. Uh, but just, just <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> I guess it's my thing now. But just talk to me. I mean, uh, you know, listen, I mean, uh, Tony looked, I think, better than I mean, anybody thought he might. So how did you think that first round was going? And, you know, did you feel like you were getting tested maybe than you thought you were going to be early on? 1,000%. And uh, I think that's, once again, why I always go back to why we love the sport of mixed martial arts. I mean, was I supposed to beat Tony? Absolutely. Was I supposed to steamroll him in a lot of people's eyes? Absolutely. Was I a big favorite? Absolutely. But anything can happen in four-ounce gloves while your heart's beating through the roof and you're in a packed arena here in Phoenix. And, uh, yeah, Tony we, Tony is who we thought he was, awkward, rangy, uh, unorthodox. And I made the same mistake. I came in with a right hand, pulled myself, like pulled out, and uh, got caught with something. So, um, we're going to clean that up. Would, you, would they say maybe not a biggest surprise in the fight, but you just feel like maybe it was your own execution? Or was there something that he did that you were like, oh, we were not expecting that at all? You know, I think uh, <laughs> y'all have said, hey, you, is, it your, is it your goal to you know, fight tooth and nail and be in these big wars? And obviously, I got a, a wife and two kids at home. I, uh, you know, I want to be the champion. I don't want to just entertain, entertain, fight, entertain the fans. Um, so I think I, I wanted to have a little bit of a feeling out process. And uh, yeah, obviously, I, I got hit. But um, I was trying to get my, my, my feet underneath me, honestly, with just standing, finally standing in front of Tony, who I knew it was going to be somewhat of a test when it came to how awkward he was. And he's skilled, and it was going to be really hard to get out there. I was hitting him with some pretty pretty decent ground and pound as well you know so um dude's a dude's a, a tough dude the kick is one of the greatest knockouts we've ever seen uh anything you drilled anything you you know you thought might be there or just something you saw in the moment what, what happened uh i don't even know if i saw in the moment i think my, my body just moved and foot <laughs> foot to face and just a couple backflips. um no honestly like i was i was talking to some people i think sometimes the fights materialize exactly how you want them to. Sometimes you stay within your in your normal box of what you always use, and it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes you throw something that you never, ever thought you would ever land, let alone knock someone out with. So it's not something that we, we train. Um, I think I have the best kickboxing coach on the planet, Henry Hooft. Um, but we don't train a lot of front kicks, I will tell you that. And mainly the reason is because I told Henry, <laughs> I don't want to do that, man. It hurts my toes. So uh, my, my right foot is a little bit sore, and uh, I'm a big baby when it comes to my feet getting hit. So uh, didn't train it, but it landed tonight. At the time you cut the epic promo, you hadn't had a chance to see the main event. Now that you did see the main event and how it played out, I guess give us your thoughts on what you saw there, and does that – you know, kind of change which which way you want to go more, you know, 170, tie to fight, et cetera. Man, shame on all of us for ever, ever doubting Charles Oliveira. Um, Gaethje had him hurt. Oliveira had Gaethje hurt. And when you get on the ground with Charles Oliveira, um, he's going to submit you, except for me. I was able to get out of it. Um, but I think, uh, man, there's something, is there not something satisfying about watching Charles Oliveira blossom into who he is? You know, I loved I loved Justin Gaethje's kind of synopsis of him that, you know, back when he was unreliable and missing weight, <clears throat> which obviously this, you know, that was before this, but he was unreliable. He had a spotty record. He wasn't, he couldn't be relied upon to have string together good performances. He was a boy back then, and now he has become the man that is Charles Oliveira, the champion that is Charles, Charles Oliveira. 
I lost to him, but I think we have I think we have unfinished business. I got into this sport to become the champion. I got into the sport to wear 12 pounds of leather and gold around my waist, and I would love for it to say the UFC on it. Um, so that fight with Connor, obviously, I'm serious about it. I I don't think you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't think I'm one of the most exciting guys on the planet now. Um, and I think I've proven that numerous times now. Connor needs a big fight to put butts in seats to sell pay-per-views, and uh, yeah, a fight at 170 would be a lot better than 155. I guess lastly for me, yeah, we know you do want to take some time off. Obviously, you want to go be a father and a husband, but uh, knowing that those are two massive possibilities for fights, is there a date on the calendar that you say, hey, I will fight by the end, or are those fights big enough that you'd end a vacation short if you had to? I mean, what's the plan? Yeah, I, I would uh, definitely the Connor fight. I would end the vacation. You know, um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Listen, when 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 Connor comes back and he's he's uh, he's healthy, uh, I'll be there. But once again, in typical combat sports icon that is Connor McGregor, he left his options open. He said that's definitely a fight he wants down the line. Obviously, he's he's tweeted, and uh, it's a fight that he wants down the line. He's deserved and earned the right to be that. You know, decide when you want to fight, who you want to fight, and and where you want to fight. So. I'm just a guy waiting in the wings. I'm just a guy with a black eye and a sore right foot who's just collected a bonus, and I'm pretty darn happy about it. I get to go home and kiss my wife and hang out with my sons. When you saw Connor's tweet... And my dad's laughing over there. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting some of the bonus, that's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you saw Connor's tweet, what did you think? Did you think he was sort of saying, no, not yet, or do you think he was just sort of thinking, I'll see what it's like when I get back? Uh, well, number one, yeah, I mean, I think, as I said, Connor has earned the right to keep his options open. He's a combat sports icon. He's the biggest, biggest, one of the biggest sports stars on the planet, and he deserves to be able to, you know, make his decisions when he wants to make his decisions. Um, do I think I'd be a great dance partner? Do I think I'd be a formidable one that won't just, that won't just give him a challenge, but also put butts in seats because people know that it, I am electrifying when I step inside the octagon now. So, um, typical Connor fashion, he left his options open. He deserves to do that. And, uh, once again, always nothing but respect. I've never been the guy who's come at Connor. Um, I don't need to disrespect somebody or throw pot shots at him to to want to beat him inside of a cage. Was that a strategy that you thought like I think this will work better to get the fight with him? What to be, be respectful? Be, be nice. Yeah. No, I mean I the one seventy thing, for example, like that's a little twist. Then. Oh, one seventy was a twist. I just just dislike fighting one fifty five. And if it's not for the title, why the heck am I going to make one fifty five? Y'all, I'm. I'm I'm not the smallest lightweight. Um, and I've been seeing pictures of Connor. He looks beefy, looks big, looks strong and powerful. And that's what I said. I want you at your biggest, baddest, and at your best and most dangerous. Let's do it at 170. Do you ever sort of stop to kind of be surprised at how much you've managed to cram into a UFC career so quickly? <laughs> you know, it's, it sure is, a, sure is a feather in my cap, and it sure is cool as an athlete. My wife over here would probably – say it's a, you know been a struggle obviously but that's just what we wanted to do we sat down and said you know this feels right this is what we want to do i want to go to the ufc and when i first had those that meeting with hunter campbell and that call with dana white i said i want to come in and get shot out of a cannon i want to fight the best guys the biggest stages the biggest on the line and uh i've come through with my end of the bargain which is putting on great shows and and you know now winning some fights i'm now 500 in the ufc so that's good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and just be, be entertaining and be a good thing for the organization. Listen, man, these guys don't understand what they have. 
Um, if you've never fought outside of the UFC, you have no idea what it's like to, to be outside the UFC. And then you come to the UFC and you get your eyes open to, to what, a, uh, what the premier mixed martial arts promotion on the planet is. So we'll see what happens next. Michael, right here. Um, say you don't get the title shot against Charles next and you do get Connor. Outside of all the lightweights right now that Charles hasn't fought, who do you think has the best chance of dethroning him? Um, I don't know. Um, obviously everyone, everyone talks about Makachev. Um, Makachev's got a, got a puzzle. He's big. He's strong. Um, he, him and Charles are similar when they're, they're, they're mainly grappling guys, but man, stop disrespecting Charles Oliveira's hands, guys. I mean, to, for him to put it on Gaethje like he did tonight, obviously we saw what happened with me. I mean, the guy's putting it together, man. He's the, he's is kind of the champion for a reason. I, it's, obviously, it's a weird scenario going on there. So, um, Makachev, I mean, Dariush is is still very good. Um, myself. So, we'll see. Then after you won, they showed you up, hop up on the cage. You were looking for your son in the crowd, and then you got him. Uh, and then they showed you whispering, and then you put him down. What did you tell him when you were up there? I just I, – I think I said I, I just love you so much. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. You know, I told him – he doesn't quite get it, um, and I told him there was, you know, there's going to be like twenty five thousand people there, and he doesn't even know what twenty five thousand is. But I'm like, there's going to be a lot of people there. But I am so, I am most excited that you are here. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, I was like, where's my son? <laughs> you know, um, so it was great. It was a lot of pressure. Um, I'm glad it's over, and uh, glad I got to kiss him after. Hi, Michael, over here. Uh, Tony Ferguson, I believe, was transported to the hospital. Uh, is there any positive thoughts or words of encouragement you'd like to send his way? Of course, man. This is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a tough sport because ideally that's what I want to do to Tony Ferguson every time, right? Ideally this is, this is the game that we're in. We're in the game of, of separating people from consciousness, punching, kicking, knee and elbowing, but, man, Tony Ferguson is, has been a guy that has helped build this division, the 155 lightweight division. You can't, you can't talk about it and talk about the history of the lightweight division without Tony Ferguson. And, uh, yeah, my thoughts and prayers are out with him, um, ho hoping for a speedy recovery. And uh, I know he'll be back. He's El Kikui. He's the boogeyman. He's Tony Ferguson. He'll be back. Iron Michael, congrats on the big victory. How does this feeling compare to the knockout at the USC debut in Abu Dhabi over Dan Hooker? Gosh, they're both, they're both really, really great because obviously one was the debut and this one was kind of getting back on track um, after two losses, obviously. Um, I'd still have to go with the, the, the debut knockout of, of Dan Hooker. You know, I was, a, I was the underdog there, as I should have been because I was coming from outside the UFC. Um, that was a special, special moment. You know, there was a lot of pressure left the relative security of a previous organization in Bellator and came over, and so there was a lot of pressure going on there. Certainly front runner for knockout of the year. How close is this? You always say see it to the top. How close is this to the top? Oh, I think we're starting to scratch the surface, but, you know, there's, there's got to be some big fights, and i, I got to get that title, you know, the top. And, and I guess that's the thing, too, I mean, because my message is, is not uh, win or bust. My message is not gold or bust. It's not belt or bust because everybody in here is going to fail and you're going to hit setbacks and you're going to hit roadblocks and you're going to be down in the valleys. So I, 
I will be 100% happy and secure with myself and the calling on my life if I never become the champion. But obviously, I want to win that title. I want to fight for that title. I'm going to fight Charles Oliveira for it or whoever he fights next if I don't get that fight next. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I, the journey has been phenomenal thus far. The platform is growing. This, I'm living a dream. I'm fighting on borrowed time. I feel like I've been fighting on borrowed time for years now. And I appreciate all you guys covering it. No complete certainty that Dariush and Islam are going to fight each other. So with that said, who is most deserving to fight for the title if it's not you? If it's not me, um, that's hard. What's Dariush on a, he's on a win streak, right? I mean, that's the thing about, I don't want to beat the dead horse, but yeah, I mean, Makachev has one win inside the top 10. That's the only criticism. And I know we keep saying, well, people are dodging him and oh, he, nobody wants to fight him and he, he's got one win inside the top 10. So that's, this is not me coming at him. This is you asking me a question and why I think Dariush might be a better candidate, honestly, because he's got more wins inside the top 10, no? Um, so I don't know. That's a hard one. But luckily we got great promoters and they'll put together fights. Congrats. Thank you, brother. See you later. So there we go. Michael Chandler, unbelievable performance from Iron Mike. Great, great stuff from him in the cage, on the mic, in the post-fight press conference. This man is an absolute star. Um, and we needed that fight because the fight that preceded it, we talked about how the fight card kind of ebbed and flowed. The light heavyweight fight between Ovin St. Pru and Mauricio Shogun Hua was not a good fight. It was not a good fight to watch. The fans were very pro Shogun on the way to the cage. And by the end of the fight, they were booing the place down. Ovin St. Pru got the split decision win. Uh, 28-29, 29-28, 30-27. It, it, was, it was a bad fight. It was a bad fight. Um, and, uh, you know, the Phoenix fans let them know. So probably the least said about that, the better. But that came after an exciting fight. Randy Brown defeating Chaos Williams and a real back and forth war. That, again, went to split decision. Lots of split decisions on this card. I think we had five altogether over the course of the night. But... Um, Randy Brown, I thought, did a great job. He got he got hurt early by Chaos Williams, who is very explosive and powerful. But Randy Brown, he's got that sort of languid fighting style, very long limbs, um, and uh, he doesn't look like he's throwing with power, but he throws with speed. He's he almost looks like he's just sort of chucking his strikes out there. But he finds his target, and and they were they were doing some damage on Chaos Williams, particularly late on in that fight. Great performance from Rude Boy Randy Brown. Gets the split decision win, which I thought was the right decision. And uh, he moves on in the UFC welterweight division. On the prelims, the uh, we obviously lost um, we lost the Cowboy Joe Lozon fight, which is why the Randy Brown fight was bumped up to the pay-per-view card. It meant that the feature prelim featured Britain's own Danny Roberts against Francisco Trinaldo. And uh, as you'll know, if you listen to my interview with Danny during the week, we talked about Trinaldo and how you know what you're going to get. He's incredibly tough and he's incredibly difficult to deal with. And that's exactly what we saw. Francisco Trinaldo defeating Danny Roberts by unanimous decision. 29-28, 30-27 and 30-26. Danny got pinged a few times in this fight and showed incredible uh, conditioning, uh, durability, resolve, heart, determination to just keep going in that fight because... Um, he got rocked a few times and he just kept biting down on his mouthpiece and coming back for more. 
and was competitive all the way through the fight. The decision was the right one. Trinaldo certainly deserved to get the uh, the verdict on the scorecards. But I thought Danny Roberts really helped make that an entertaining fight for the fans. And uh, he will be back for sure. Fingers crossed he'll be back in London in July. I know that is a fight card he would absolutely love to be on. Fingers crossed um, he's able to, uh, to sort of bounce back from that, get himself on that London card and uh, turn things around in front of his home fans. But that was a tough fight, but a good fight. Trinaldo at the age of 43, uh, proving that age is nothing but a number because he just seems to just keep on going. But um, it was a big night for the UFC, UFC 274, two title fights on the card, Michael Chandler on the card. It was a good fight night. But there was another piece of big news that came out of that event. Daniel DC Cormier, who was on commentary duty, is going to be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. It was a great moment because he had literally no idea. They announced it in the arena and Cormier just evaporated into tears. He got all emotional. It was a great moment. Um, hugging, hugging Joe Rogan. He didn't know what to say. Now, DC is not someone who is lost for words very often, but he was lost for words at that moment. And it was, it was genuinely lovely to see. Uh, thankfully he did have some words. Uh, he'd composed himself by the time the event was over. He managed to call the rest of the fights, but, uh, yeah, after the event, he went backstage and spoke to the media at the post-fight press conference where he spoke about the event and about his uh, his upcoming induction into the UFC Hall of Fame, which will come alongside his good friend, teammate, and former training partner, Khabib Magomedov. But here's what DC had to say in the post-fight presser. It was better than Anderson Silva. It just wasn't as technical, but that was the greatest front kick knockout we've ever seen. Unbelievable. Easily the greatest front kick knockout we've ever seen. Unbelievable. Well, DC, you know, congratulations, of course, were in order for you as well. Uh, Hall of Fame, and it looked like, you know, you got pretty emotional when it yeah. was right out. So I guess can you just take us back to that moment? Like, did you instantly realize? When did you realize what was happening? What was the emotion? Well, um, so when they said, let's welcome the next member, I, I don't know if they've – I mean, do, do they normally do two modern wing athletes or something? Yeah. They don't, right? So I saw Habib, so I had no idea. I thought it was going to be Habib. And then um, I saw my back on the promo I did years ago, and I kind of threw my headset Rogan like looked like what just happened. Then he looked up and saw what was going on, and he was like, "Oh my God, congratulations!" So it was uh, it was a bit of a surprise. I don't know how they kept this from me. Well, I was going to ask. I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, he knew. He's on the broadcast team. He had to know." This. No one told me anything. They let me talk about Habib going into the Hall of Fame before the show, and I was like, "Cause you know, Habib and I com- compete in everything," and I was like, "Well, you're in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not. So congratulations, champ." And uh, little did I know, a few hours later, I was going to be getting the invitation. So. Now you can take that back, right? And well, yeah, he's still well, he's still undefeated, right? So it's like I, I don't have him yet. Yeah, I guess can you just sum up what it does mean to you? I mean, I'm sure it's still kind of processing. You weren't you know ready for it, but to know Hall of Fame, you know what yeah. I mean? You can't, you can't ever take that away. What does it, that mean? You know, I always said things like uh, like heroes and champions they they fade, but your legacy stays forever, and this is a part of my legacy, right? Even when my days are gone. And I, my kids and my kids' kids can always take their kids to Vegas and see their dad in that Hall of Fame, right? Like, it, to be remembered is a truly, truly special thing. And I think with this, it's like the icing on the cake of a lifetime of things that I've been able to accomplish. It's, uh, it's very special. Awesome. Obviously, you'll have time to put together a speech and a lot to talk about. But I guess, just as you sit here now, what is it that you want people to remember? If, you know, if there's one lasting memory, one lasting 
anything about you as your legacy? How do you want to be remembered? I fought hard. I was never the biggest. I was always the smallest. And I made do with what I had, right? I wrestled my ass off. I fought with all the tools that I was blessed with, cardio and just hard work. Like if there was, there was never, there was never anything given. I never cheated. I mean, obviously, you know, I was outside of the whole thing where people think I touched that towel, but uh, <laughs> people still believe that, which is so stupid. I don't know how many times I have to tell you I didn't touch the towel, but um, outside of that, you know, there were no drugs tied to my legacy. There was no like questionable things that I did outside of uh, people unjustly accusing me of touching the towel. It was there. Who doesn't touch towel when it's there? <laughs> DC, just curious about uh, about your job tonight. When that co-main event is playing out, how hard is it to sort of commentate? And well, Rose and Carla are going to be pissed off at us <laughs> because we just had to kind of call it like it is. No one, no one is above criticism, and that fight was to be criticized. Here's the problem, right? If you're Rose Namajunas... You go home and you are really disappointed because you kind of played chance with your championship because in those first three rounds, like, I don't know how anybody judged it. I don't know how any judge, uh, listen, John Anik, who is literally one of the smartest people I know, goes, the very last scoring criteria is octagon control, which no one ever gets to. Tonight, that's the only way that they could have judged those first three rounds and given them to Carla. Wasn't a fun experience. It wasn't. It was. It's just a game of chance, and I just didn't quite understand how either corner could feel confident in their advice to their athletes. It was a. Uh, it was a rough one to watch, and you know, I think that first fight, the takedowns really froze Rose because on so many occasions she's given us tremendous performances. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Thank you. DC, congrats again, champ. Um, I wonder, has anybody special reached out to you over the last few hours since this news went public? My son. My son texted me immediately. My wife, my kids, they all texted me. Like, that is the thing. All my coaches, my manager, like, everybody. All the people that I love the most, all the people that played a part in me doing this. Like, I always said there's a, it takes a village to build a champion. And I had a village. I mean, I lived in Bobbinham's house for a year and I wrecked this car on multiple occasions but I just kept working and you know to coach Hav and Leandro and, and Bob and my manager Dwayne like it's 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 a uh, it's it's a uh, it, it really was like it, it took so many people to help me I mean Cassandra sitting here and her and I fought daily in their house because I was such a mess like She's like, you're eating Carl's Jr. again. So really, really special thanks to my nutritionist because they actually got me down to 205 every time. Like, so it was, uh, it, was it, it really took a village. I know uh, in these type of moments, we're going to make you get reflective. So I wonder for you, I mean, you start late in this journey. Obviously, you had the whole Olympics and everything. I was you almost 31 years old when I started doing this thing, which is crazy. Did you exceed your own expectations? You're a Hall of Famer. I mean, it's the highest honor that we can ever achieve in sport, right? I didn't have this dream as a kid, you know, so this came late. I was almost convinced to fight. And then once I started to do it, anytime I have a goal to chase, I do my damnedest to try to be the best that I can at it, whether it's fighting. Now it's commentary. I want to be the best in that space. And so I worked tirelessly. 
And I was lucky because I had some great coaches. I had a lot of people that loved and cared about me that allowed for me to get to where I went. I mean, guys, we have two Hall of Famers in one year from the same gym. Think about the level of coaching that we got inside the walls of the American Kickboxing Academy. It's like nothing else. A lot of things had to go right for me, and they but, did. But then last one from me. And partners, right? Cain Velasquez, who is now faced with the worst possible situation. He carried me to heights I never thought. And in all my biggest moments, he was right next to me, right? So uh, now as he is on this journey and in this fight that he's in, I, I try to support him as best I can. So every time you see him go to court or something, I will be there because he was always there for me. Does it break your heart to see what he's going through right now? It kills me. It absolutely kills me as a father to see what he is going through. Yeah, kills me. But I, I get to talk to him, which makes me one of the lucky ones. I've gotten to visit him, and I get calls from him. So I'm one of the lucky people that still get to have him in their life. Well, then last question for me. You obviously have a lot of accolades over the 11 years you were doing this. I just wonder, what's your favorite moment? I mean, what's your proudest moment over the course of this whole journey for you? It's easy to say uh, becoming the double champion, right? Because that is going to be my crowning achievement. But um, – just going through the fight and taking and rolling with the punches, right? From going down to 205 and having Rashad Evans teed up, a former champion to truly make an impact. It ends up being Patrick Cummins, the guy that was essentially called the Starbucks barista. Two days, John Jones fails a drug test, being able to fight Anderson Silva. So just rolling with the punches and really just dealing with what I had in front of me. Like, I can't make my own route. Right? I didn't choose to beat Anthony Johnson for the championship. It was the opportunity I had, and I took advantage of it. So just really being able to adjust. And I think in this career, if you can adjust, you can accomplish some truly great things. But, yeah, after all that, becoming the double champion was pretty fucking cool, too. <laughs> and then doing it again in New York, winning that belt, and then giving me two belts again. Like, this, it was crazy. I had, like... Sometimes I would literally wake up, or I'd come to these things, right? I haven't done this in years. I would come to these, and I'm just, like, walking up with my team, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, how the fuck did I get here? It just was that, that crazy. So nice you had to do it twice. Congrats. Thank you. Hey, DC, over here. Uh, congratulations. I don't know if we're supposed to stick to Hall of Fame questions, but uh, how did it feel to get the crew back together and be with uh, Joe Rogan and John Anik? That the was nice. January? That was nice. Being back with the guys was nice. Um... We call the pay-per-views for a reason, right? There's a thing, there's a chemistry between John, uh, Rogan, and I, and it works. And when they put us together, you didn't know if it would. And there are a lot of people that probably don't like it, but the vast majority of people enjoy uh, the banter. They enjoy the personalities. and It felt good to be sitting next to those guys because I haven't, I haven't called a fight with uh, Rogan for almost four months. I haven't called a fight with Anik. Uh, one in Columbus. I've done my other two with Brendan Fitzgerald, who is a very talented broadcaster himself, Dominic Cruz and Paul Felder. But it's just something to the big event, having the big personalities all at that table. And then back to the Hall of Fame. Uh, the UFC Hall of Fame, it's not like the MLB Hall of Fame. It's not like you steal a couple bases, hit a couple home runs, and you're in. It's a very select few. So when you look at those names in that Hall of Fame, what are the emotions and thoughts that come to your mind when you see all these other the great guys, the legends? It, I made it, right? Like, you you know, you win a UFC championship, it's so difficult, 
I mean, people don't even comprehend how hard it is to win a UFC championship, much less win a belt, defend a belt, win all these other belts. Because every guy in there, right, is in there because they deserve it. So um, it, it is truly a pleasure to be to sit alongside these people, like all these people that I've looked up to for so long. And every time, like I said, I'll be called the UFC Hall of Famer. It's, 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 uh, it means a war to me. Congrats, DC. You deserve it. Thank you. DC. Uh, and one quick Is there any thoughts on uh, who's going to do the induction speech for you? I hadn't even thought of it far in advance. I mean, I got to make sure Habib doesn't take my guy. Right? We got two guys from the same gym getting to do it. So, special. Um, on that similar question, who's going to be the one to close the Hall of Fame show? Who's going to go on last? I have no idea. I got two belts. I was going to say, make, <laughs> make the case why it should yeah, be. We'll you. be arguing about that. Dana will have to sit between Habib and I as we try to decide. Because we are both going to be yelling and screaming. I'm usually pretty like, ah, whatever. You maybe, go ahead. Maybe but he inducts we'll you and you induct him. Maybe we do that. That'll be fun. That one's on the house. There you go, my man. How much do I owe you? I ain't got no money. I make a lot less than I did fight. Congrats, DC. For some of us who weren't hearing the broadcast, how would you describe that three-minute madness between Gaethje and Oliveira? Oh, Listen. The lightweight champion in the world has a name, and it's Charles Oliveira. And my God, how good is that dude? It's insane what he is. We both we sit there like flabbergasted, like what happened? What I just talked to Dana as he was leaving. I go, dude, what happened to Charles Oliveira? Like, how did he become this? Like that's that's all you can ask. Is like, how did he become this guy? He is legitimately one of the best fighters I have ever seen in my entire life. And we have seen dudes like Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre. Khabib Nurmagomedov. So when you start calling him one of the best you've ever seen in your life, that is high praise. But he gets hurt, and he's also got some built-in traps, right? You hurt Charles Oliveira, you got to take a step back, because if you jump on him, dude might submit you. So it was a very telling thing in the, in the finishing sequences. Justin Gaethje hurts him, has to let him up. But Charles lays there for a few minutes, covers a little bit. Charles hurt Justin, jump right on him. Went to punch him and missed. Immediately takes his back. But if Justin goes and does that and misses, next thing you know, Charles is on his back. So he's got these built-in, like, traps that you have to avoid whenever you're trying to approach him. So it makes him very, very dangerous. It's a... Uh, dude is like... It, it, it's crazy because I can't explain it. And Carnival was happening as I was walking over here because him and his team were going nuts. <laughs> Oh, quick one for me. Um, congratulations. Javier Mendez just wanted me to relay a message to you and let you know he loves you. He's very proud of your very well-deserved induction. Yeah, he's a man. I love Coach Hav, and I wish he was still there whenever it happened, you know, because Bogoy fought early, so they probably took off, but it would have been nice to hug a person that was there the entire journey. Uh, I hugged Cassandra... But having Hav there too, like, because Andrew gave me the huff and puff. Yeah. <laughs> but no, like Javier, like just, you know, the hours in the gym and just the training, um, him. Uh, it's his gym. It was his gym. You know, they gave us a home. Whereas her and Bob gave me a house and a home. Uh, that's his gym. And, and he opened his doors for me. And he's always been such a special part of my journey. I love him. All right. Thanks, guys. So there you go. Daniel D.C. Cormier, UFC Hall of Famer. Totally and completely deserved. And uh, yeah, 
one of the sport's good guys and one of the big characters in the sport and someone who can really be a, a figurehead for the UFC moving forward. I know Dana White recently said that when the time comes for him to step away from being being that guy at the front of the UFC, that he knows the person who could step into his shoes and be that guy. I wonder whether he's thinking of Daniel Cormier. I know Hunter Campbell, obviously, who pulls a lot of the strings behind the scenes at the UFC. I guess he could do it. Um, he could come up from like the corporate side of things. But if you wanted someone who would resonate with the fans, for me, there are two names that absolutely leap off the page. One of them is Daniel Cormier. I think he would be he would be excellent at that. And the other guy, and he's not involved in the sport right now, but Brian Stan, I think, would be an incredible pick to be a future president of the UFC. And who knows? Maybe one day that could happen. But um, Daniel Cormier would certainly be someone who could do that um, and uh, do that with distinction as well. He has all the credentials you could possibly want. Former Olympian, world champion multiple times over in different weight classes, hugely respected, uh, gives back to the sport. And uh, he's also someone who has seamlessly transitioned to the broadcast side and the media side and has... Uh, you know, has become a real personality outside of his athletic achievements. So absolutely deserves to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. And uh, congratulations to him. And uh, I'm looking forward to being over there in Las Vegas to see him get inducted this summer. But that was UFC 274. As I say, big night in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, that came hot on the heels of Bellator 280, which we saw on Friday night in Paris, France. Good night of fights. Good night of fights. If you're here in the UK, get on BBC iPlayer and you can watch the watch the uh, the event replay. The main event was probably the worst the worst fight on the card. To be completely honest with you, Ryan Bader completely dominating Czech Congo. I still don't know what Czech Congo's tactics were going into that fight. They seem to be back away, back away, get up against the fence, so that when you get taken down, you can at least try and get up because you have the fence there. Um, that seemed to be the long and short of his tactics because. He barely clipped Bader with anything. He had a couple of strikes uh, early and a couple of strikes late, but really Bader had a pretty much a clear run at this fight and he won every round on every scorecard, 50-45s across the board. Ryan Bader retains his Bellator heavyweight title. Co-main event, Yoel Romero doing Yoel Romero things against Alex Polisi. Uh, buzzer beater, TKO finish. Four minutes, 59 seconds. That's right, the last second of the last round, Romero was basically playing with his food from the minute we got to like the midpoint of the, the second round. He had Polisi's number pretty early. And Romero's not someone who fights in at high pace. You know, he's very methodical and it's just quick explosion and then a bit of inactivity, then another quick explosion. But every time he landed on Polisi, he hurt, he hurt him. Uh, he dropped him a few times and... In the last round, it was almost like you heard the 10-second clap and thought, right, okay, I've soaked up this Parisian atmosphere and all of the adoration from the, the French fans who absolutely adored Yoel Romero on fight night. It's like, I've soaked up as much of this as I can possibly can possibly experience. We only have 10 seconds left. Let's see if we can give these boys and girls a finish. And that's exactly what he did. One second to go, gets the TKO. And uh, Romero then has a, a face-off with Melvin Manhoof, who was the man he was supposed to face in Paris this weekend. And uh, that fight is now going to happen on September 23rd, day before my birthday, in Dublin. So 
I might have to see if I can get myself over for that for some uh, for some Guinness and a bit of Yoel Romero versus Melvin Manhoff because that's going to be fireworks for as long as it lasts. And they had a little face off and Romero did the whole see you soon boy and all of that. So that was great, but a good performance. And uh, Romero looks like a bit of a threat at 205 pounds. We had a whole load of Brits on the card in Paris and not to put too fine a point on it, not the best night when you look at how the Brits got on, unfortunately. Seabass uh, Mike Shipman, who was uh, opening up the main card against French judoka Gregory Baben. Um, never really, never really got into his, into his stride. He had very strange starts of the matchup where he kind of charged in and, uh, got tripped on the way in, went to the canvas and it felt like he never really got a foothold in the fight and got knocked out in the first round. I know he was bitterly disappointed and anybody who's seen Mike Shipman fight knows that he certainly is a much better fighter than he showed in Paris on Friday. He'll bounce back. I'm sure he'll want to be back on. Uh, a European cut as soon as possible, as soon as possible. And who knows, maybe we'll see him over in Paris um, in September, but, sorry, in in Dublin in September. But yeah, not, not the best, not the best performance from, from Mike Shipman. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll bounce back. Um, other notable performances, Lewis Long against Thibaut Guti. That just turned into a bloodbath. Unfortunately, most of that blood came from Lewis Long's nose. Um, looked like he could smell round corners by the end of that fight. His nose was all over the place. Uh, Guti really put it on him in that fight. Long just would not be denied and just kept on coming forward. But ultimately, it was a losing effort for the Welshman. 30-27s across the board for Thibaut Guti, who picks up a win on home soil. The lone British victory on the card came from Jordan Barton, who, if you were looking just purely on paper at the records of the fighters, you would have said that Jordan may have had one of the tougher tasks uh, of the Brits on the night because he was taking on undefeated opposition in Fabricari Diata. And uh, to be honest with you, he looked to cut above Fabricari Diata. He really did. I thought the fact that it was judged as a split decision absolutely baffles me. I thought he won that fight pretty clearly. Um, and uh, the scorecards gave it 28-29, 29-28, 29-28. But that was a good win and a well-deserved and well-earned win from Jordan Barton, who was the standout British performer on the night in Paris. Someone else who deserves a good shout-out is Charlie Leary because, not I'll be honest with you, he won that fight against Sorenbach. And the fact that Sorenbach got the decision just leaves me completely baffled. Uh, at the scoring. I thought Leary won that fight by two rounds to one. I thought he, he took both the first and second rounds, I thought, relatively clearly. I, I honestly thought he took the first two rounds. Soren Bank finally got his wrestling going in the third round and took round three on my card. But how Leary ended up losing the unanimous decision and how one judge scored all three rounds to Soren Bank is absolutely beyond me. Um, I know Charlie was due to fight in London uh, last year. And uh, I think one of his corner or one of his opponent's corner team got tested positive for COVID and he, he lost out on that one. He ended up fighting in Dublin uh, and getting beat. And then he took this fight on two weeks notice to replace Saul Rogers. And I thought he fought his backside off. I really do. I thought he thoroughly deserved the victory against the former Cage Warriors lightweight champion, no less, on short notice at 160 pounds. And I thought he got hosed by the judges. I'll be completely honest. Charlie Leary, in my money, is a winner coming out of that. Um, the record books will show otherwise, but uh, all due respect 
to uh, to Charlie Leary because I thought that was that was a performance worthy of a victory. Um, but yeah, Sorenbach picks up the win and he moves on in the Bellator lightweight division. Uh, also on the card, uh, big tasty Gavin Hughes, unfortunately, uh, got absolutely hammered to the body by Eve Landu. Um, some really nasty shots to the body. And it was uh, knees, knees to the body, sort of softened him up, and then a thump, thumping body kick uh, that that proved to be the uh, the fight ending strike. Uh, Landu was a man possessed, and unfortunately, uh, it was just a little bit too much for Gavin Hughes on the night. First round TKO finish, and uh, yeah, big night for some of the French fighters, as you can imagine. And uh, Landu doing a bit of the old break dancing as, as he likes to do uh, in his cele- in his celebrations in the cage. It was a fun event, though. I know the Brits didn't didn't get the best of results. This is the Brit pack, after all. We look out look out for the British results. But as an overall event, it was a fun event. Loads of finishes, lots of great action. Um, there was some there was some slightly questionable scoring going on. I'll be honest with you, but the event was a good one. And the only real letdowns, I think, were the fact that Charlie Leary got done by the judges uh, in his fight with Soren back. And the fight and and the fight that the the main event really didn't really didn't catch fire at all, and it was a bit of a a bit of an anti climax to finish the uh, finish the event. But on the whole, a good event. I mean, Bellator's European shows always seem to deliver a ton of action, and uh, the next one is coming up this Friday night. I cannot wait. I'm going to be there. Bellator two eighty one at Wembley Arena. I think it's now called the the Ovo Arena due to a new sponsorship deal. Main event, Michael Venom Page fighting for Bellator Championship Gold for the first time, taking on Logan Storley in the main event. It's going to be the interim version of the World 2-8 title because Yaroslav Amosov, who holds the belt and an undefeated record, he's back home in Ukraine uh, defending his country right now. All due respect to him and uh, hope he hope he's okay. But it means that he's unable to compete this weekend, so they've made an interim title fight. Uh, Logan Story has has stepped up to take on MVP. That is your main event. But the card is packed with great fights. Fabian Edwards is taking on Lyoto the Dragon Machida in a co-main event. What a fight that is going to be. Denise Kilholz versus Kanan Watanabe is a big, important fight in the women's flyweight division. Paul Sentep's daily is in action in what is supposed to be his retirement fight. It's just a shame that we've had a, a late change of opponent. It was supposed to be Andrei Koreshkov. Unfortunately, Koreshkov has had to be withdrawn from the card for undisclosed reasons, and he's now taking on Wendell Giacomo um, instead. So a bit of a shame for Daly. He doesn't have that marquee big-name opponent for what is supposed to be his retirement fight. But nonetheless, that will be an occasion in and of itself. And uh, Luke Trainer, who was one of, the, one of the, the stars of Fight Week last time he fought in London, uh, taking on Simon Biong in uh, the light heavyweight main card opener. But we've got loads of Brits on this card. Rob Whiteford is taking on Daniel Veitchel. Kate Jackson is taking on Alina Kalionidou. Tim Wilde and Alfie Davis are going to go head-to-head in an all-British affair at lightweight. Andrew King fisher is set for action against Attila Korkmaz. And uh, Lee Chabwick is also set for action at light heavyweight, as is Lanchana Green, who makes her return against Kiara Penko in the first bout of the night. That takes place Friday, May 13th, this Friday at Wembley Arena. So if you're on my side of the pond, nice palatable viewing times once again. That'll be live on the BBC, BBC iPlayer, BBC Three, 
as per usual. So uh, make sure you get involved in that. Don't forget the Britpack.substack.com. That is where all your needs will be met in terms of the Britpack MMA, whether it is the Britpack MMA podcast, the audio version, whether it is the United Nations podcast, which you can get either on the main audio podcast feed or as a video on the website. And of course, we've got news related to British fighters and British events on there as well. Follow me on the socials. I'm at Simon Head on Twitter, at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. If you want to just follow the show on Twitter, that's at the Britpack MMA. Give us a rating, give us a review, all that sort of good stuff on the podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can get a podcast, pretty much. We are there. And uh, yeah, a big weekend coming up in the UK. Can Michael Venom Page finally pick up a championship belt on the world stage? We will find out on Friday night. Have a good week, everyone. And I'll speak to you later this week. Mm-hmm.